All I had left to do was to make it to FedEx on time. That was the only thing I had left to do to end a long and painful process that I thought was coming to an end. Once I got the FedEx, you see, I could put the apartment lease in the envelope and put the, the three checks, one for the rent, one for the security deposit, and one for the whatever the third thing that the landlord could just squeeze out of me. And um, <laughs> with apologies to landlords out there. Um, and, and finally, I could be at the end of a long and painstaking process of finding a Chicago apartment to live in. It was July of 2012, and... Laura and I were getting ready to move our family to Chicago. We had lived in Chicago before, but we were in D.C. now, and we had expert Chicago help. Some of you know Lindsay Evans. She has a remarkable uh, read on the Chicago real estate ways and market, and she also has incredible focus, project management skills. She was on it for us. I mean, she was going through the list. She was charming the landlords. She was, you know, doing everything necessary to get us into a Chicago apartment. And we were just amazed that week upon week upon week, we kept getting denied the opportunity just to rent an apartment. I mean, we were begging landlords to let us give them money. Come on, I mean, we, we have the checks for you, we have the money for you, we're good for it, okay? And um, we kept getting turned down. And some of you have gone through this. There's actually, part of this is just market forces, lower and middle income housing is more scarce in Chicago. There's actually an overabundance of luxury housing in Chicago. Um, and that's just how, how it is. So you, if, you ha if you're a higher-end renter, you'll get courted. If you're a middle- or lower-end renter, you'll have to compete and elbow your way in for an opportunity to rent. Some of you have gone through this. We were really going through it. And some of it was, uh, was you know, it's interesting. Um, like, housing discrimination still does exist. I'm not saying we were, we were a victim of that. Um, but I am saying that um, there's freedom to discriminate. What we found was um, if you have three people with professional salaries versus a pastor's salary, the three people with professional salaries are going to win. Um, and um, that's just how it goes. Um, and in other cases, we're trying to get into a place with a good school. So education and, and housing, they're always connected. Once you're a parent, you realize that education and housing are connected. Um, and, uh, and so we were trying to get into a good school good school district, and that was proving difficult. In some cases, landlords would find out um, that I had a family. Not, we wouldn't get a call back. In other cases, one landlord found out that I was a pastor, and mysteriously, that didn't work out. Um, and um, so it was, a, it was a long and tearful process. I can still remember um, when the one, the one that we thought was going to work out didn't work out because of the pastor thing. I just remember like sitting with Laura on our bed going, what are we going to do? We were in tears, like, God, you've called us to this, and we feel called upon, but we, and yet at the same time, the, our resources are falling short. We kept getting edged out. Those two things aren't a adding up. Um, and so all I had to do was make it to FedEx on time. That's all I had to do, because we had found a place um, that was going through some company, and they, and they basically said, hey, you're first in line. Just get all your paperwork in. We're like, yes, sir. We were like doing all the paperwork as soon as they asked for it. And the end of the process was me taking our checks and the lease and putting it in a FedEx envelope and overnighting it. And I call them just to check on a technicality. Do you need the PDF of the signed lease or the hard copy? What do you need? And, uh, and the guy said, hold on. I'm in my car. 
you know, FedEx is about a mile away. Hold on. That apartment's just been rented, sorry. I was so angry. I was so crushed. I was, uh, <laughs> I was in a sullen, terrible mood. We had guests over that night, and I was no fun at all. I was just sulking the whole time, um, grousing the whole time, griping. What I, ex- what I experienced that night and in that process is what a lot of us experience um, as we go through life, and that is a pressurized gap a pressure-filled gap between what life demands of us and the resources that we have. What life demands of us and the resources that we have. So some of you may have experienced this with housing. Um, Others of you experience this with education. Um, So maybe it's getting into a school district that works for your kids. Maybe it's looking at the sticker price of college for your kids and you're saving. And you're like, "How how can anyone pay that much tuition over a period of four years for one person. Um, or you're on the other end of it, you're recovering from how much you paid and committed to, and you're still trying to pay off debt. The cost, the, the cost of education and the gap between what you need and what, uh, what you have is, is, is filled with pressure. Um, for others of you, it is, it's just pure cash flow. You know, making rent, um, paying the mortgage on your parking tickets, um, cash flow. For others of you, it's, it really is energy. Maybe you have a little bit more resources of money, but that, now your resources of energy have gone down. And what life requires of you just to have, to bring mental focus to, and to bring emotional focus to, and to bring physical energy to, is just kind of lacking. Life is requiring this much, but you only have this much, and in between there's this pressurized gap. Or maybe it's relationships. There's a lot of relational demands upon you, whether from kids or from your coworkers or from people who depend on you, but then the, the relationships that support you are lacking. People who really understand you, people who are really with you, people who can encourage you. You're doing a lot of encouraging, but who's with you encouraging you? And there's a pressurized gap between what life demands of you and the resources you have to meet those demands. In between, there's this gap. What do we do with that gap? What did I need to know when I experienced that phone call, the apartment's already been rented? When I was in that space where the gap was crushing me, and I was angry because of it, and I was anxious because of it. When the resources of our time and our energy and our money are taxed to their limit, and we feel like we have nothing else to give. I'll tell you what we don't need. We don't need cliche spiritual answers like, God only gives you what we can handle. If you want to get punched in the face, tell that to someone who's suffering. We don't need cliche spiritual answers like that. I'll tell you what else. We don't need cliche secular answers like what, only, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Because that answer is ultimately meaningless in the, uh, for someone who will ultimately die. Oh yeah, it makes me stronger for a period of time. But then I will eventually... I will eventually die, and all of the suffering will eventually be meaningless. We don't need cliche spiritual answers. We don't need cliche secular answers when we're falling short. We need a real answer. We need to be connected with reality, not just assuaged, not just uh, told to calm down. 
When we feel the pressure of the gap between what is demanded of us and what is required of us, we need to know what Jesus teaches us from our gospel text today. And that is this, and listen to this. No one, no one values your life more than God your Father values it. And he has come to give freely of himself in your gap. No one values your life more than your Heavenly Father values your life. And he's actually come to give freely of himself in your gap. See, our gap is God's opportunity. Our gap is God's opening to draw near to us, to show us his love and mercy, to creatively and artistically provide of his own self, to show the world his power, to show us his power, to both picture and carry out his work of salvation and redemption. This is true for everyone. It's true whether you're poor or whether you're wealthy, um, whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, whether you're full of energy and time, or whether you're drained of both energy and time, whether you're imprisoned, whether you're free, whether society idolizes you in your current state, or whether society ignores you, this is true. No one values your life more than your Heavenly Father values it. And He has come to give of Himself in the places where you lack, in the gap of resources. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 6, where we'll unpack this teaching from Jesus. And this is on page 10, the gospel reading for today. The first thing that I want to point out from this text, in order for us to receive from the presence of the living God when we have a resource gap. Um, the first thing that Jesus calls us to is to move from a place of anxiety to a place where we are attentive. We need to move out of our anxiety to a place where we are attentive. Um, let's read together verses 25 through 30 of Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not your life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Now, let me just stop there. And you might read that and think, that's kind of odd. I don't necessarily worry about what I eat. I'm more sort of agonize over which place I'll get my food from today. You know, at Mariano's, where there's all kinds of choices. There's too many choices. Maybe that makes you anxious. Um, and, and that's not totally a joke. We actually have a lot of anxiety about the, about the choices that we have to make. Um, it, we have a much more complex state that, that, that we live in in terms of our resources. Um, in the ancient world, food was um, almost half your income. And imagine that. You're not making very much already, but, but if you're going to buy grain, and this is just like to have like a loaf of bread, you're going to pay half your income to get that. It was extremely expensive, and especially in times of famine, um, prices would fluctuate wildly. There were no government controls over this. Um, and also, there was a, uh, we, didn't have, um, we didn't have advanced food-making um, enterprises that, that made food widely available and also somewhat cheap like it is today. Now, people are still hungry. I'm not, I don't want to minimize that one single bit. Um, this, is, this text is true, obviously, if you're hungry. For many of us, we're not hungry. 
um, we, we don't go for a lack of food. Um, and, and, and as well as, we, we don't usually go for a lack of clothing as well. Clothing is widely available um, because of what modernity has brought us in terms of mass clothing production. And so we're going to read this text, and we're not going to see that the people who heard these words were hungry, and they did not have the money they needed to get food. And they, they did not have the money they needed to get clothing. They would scrape by in existence. And they generally had good reason, logical reason, to worry about having enough to eat and having enough to wear. And yet Jesus is uh, still challenging them to not let that take them to a place of anxiety. Why would he do that? Um, doesn't anxiety help us? Doesn't fear, doesn't a state of fear bring us to a place where we're like actually getting things done? Jesus knows um, what psychologists have learned uh, in, in, in uh, recent years, which is that anxiety is a, uh, is a default state that actually, um, uh, uh, that actually clouds our thinking, clouds our creativity, makes us unable to connect with reality, and, and as Jesus is teaching, unable to connect with the kingdom of God and God's provision and God's ways. It, it actually distracts us locks us down, puts us into a place of fight or flight where we cannot be attentive to what is true. Fear puts into our souls false predictions of what will happen in the future. Fear tells us things that are not true um, and suggests to us uh, realities that do not yet exist so that uh, we are clouded in our thinking and clouded in our ability to connect with God and God's reality. Anxiety will lock us down Anxiety will shorten our life, and anxiety cannot, as Jesus uh, uh, observes later in this text, it cannot extend our life. So um, anxiety, when we lack resources, is a default state. Um, some of us have more anxiety than others, but it is a common human condition. Many of us feel at different times or another fear because we're not going to have enough for what is required of us. And Jesus is challenging us to a place of thoughtfulness and recognition about the anxiety that is driving us. And he says simply, do not be anxious about your life. Um, verse 26 says this, look at, and this, here's, he's, he's calling us to a place of attentiveness. He's calling us to a place of alertness, which is different than a place of anxiety. He says, look at. Um, and it's, uh, one, one commentator translated this as, look intently at, um, because of the intensity of this particular verb here. Another uh, uh, preacher named John Stott uh, translates this as watch birds, and he was a bird watcher, so he was biased. Um, but uh, essentially, Jesus is calling us to, to a place of scientific inquiry. Look at the birds of the air. Pay attention to what's, what's happening around you. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, not, are you not of more value than they? Um, you see, Jesus is helping us see how fruitless anxiety is, but also, um, uh, but also how deeply involved God is in the process of creation. God values the life of birds so much so that he has given them a capacity to be fed and to reproduce and to live joyfully as birds in God's world. When we're in a state of anxiety, we cannot... First of all, we cannot see the birds, and we cannot pay attention to them. We cannot consider how complicated and intricate um, and beautiful their existence is and God's provision for them is. 
We can only see what we don't, we, what we don't have. We can only see um, the false predictions that have been planted into our souls by our, by our anxieties. Um, but when we're attentive, we can connect with God's activity in the world. And it can be as simple as watching birds intently and thinking creatively about how God is providing for them. Verse 27 says this, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? And again, a place of attentiveness is called to here. Consider, think about, um, ruminate upon the lilies of the field. Don't just walk over the lilies of the field. Think about the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Um, We are the crown jewel of God's creation. The lilies of the field are not. And yet God seems fit to create in his world um, non-utilitarian flowers that are so incredibly beautiful, they're just beautiful because he made them that way. If God is so um, intent to create a world in which beautiful flowers exist of all kinds of different variations, um, and they're not as worthwhile and valuable to God as we are, how much more, Jesus is saying, will God provide for us beautifully, artistically, creatively, in ways that we will miss if we're not watching for his provision, if we're not attentive to his provision? We have to consider, we have to look at the ways that God has provided for us. For many of us, we have to remember. We have to remember. We have to be thoughtful enough to remember how God has provided for us. When he came through financially. When he came through relationally. When he came through with our education. When he came through for us for our housing. When he did something and brought things together we thought could never be together. When he bridged the gap. Many of us can remember ways that God intervened and bridged the gap for us um, and actually was with us in our gap and provided for us in a way that we could not provide for ourselves. More fundamentally, though, not only do we need to be attentive, um, uh, but we have to know that God isn't fundamentally simply giving us stuff to survive. God is not simply giving us stuff to survive. Um, He is not simply a cosmic gumball machine, as my friend Phil uh, says. That is not God's primary purpose. And the problem with a lot of teaching from this text is that it is describing God essentially as someone who's going to give you simply what you ask for. And God is simply one more method that you can manipulate in order to become wealthy, in order to become healthy. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus wants us to connect connect with the kingdom of God. And when we are provided for with time and energy and money, we connect with and see that we are creatures living in God's world and that God has come and he is giving himself to us extravagantly, giving of his own life, giving of his own blood, giving of his own glory, giving of his own holiness, so that we can flourish as his sons and daughters. We are given signposts, artistic clues everywhere in our life 
that God is among us and that he is with us. Jesus says in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Some have translated this verse essentially to say, Be good as God defines it, and God will give you swag. Just seek, you know, do what God says, play God's game, and he'll play your game. That is not what Jesus is teaching. The kingdom of God is fundamentally deeper and richer and more profound than our needs simply being met and our wants simply being met. Our creaturely needs, our gap, that pressurized gap, is, a, is uh, bringing us to a place of sensitivity and attentiveness to God's presence that is with us through Jesus. We have to experience this as creatures. Sometimes we have to be shaken to our core and know that we are unable, uh, fundamentally unable to complete ourselves, to live, to stand up and be the people we were made to be. We have to see that not only for food, not only for education, not only for time and energy. We have to see that fundamentally we are unable to live without God being present in the fundamental gap between us and him. Because what's required of us and what we have to give is more fundamental than stuff and not having enough of it. We do not have the resources we need to stand before our Father and account for our life. We don't have the resources we need for that exchange. We stand impoverished and isolated without God's provision of Jesus. And the kingdom of God connects us back with our Father. The kingdom of God is the king of glory laying down his life to make us sons and daughters again of the king. That's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God are sons and daughters that are suffocating from their inability to communicate with their creator. The kingdom of God is, is, is God rectifying that situation by sending his son, pouring out his life so that we can pray again so that we can know our life again, so that we can be renewed in body, mind, and soul and live forever in the glory of God. God looked upon us because he, because he valued our life and he saw that we were like baby birds, hungry, crying out for sustenance, not able to feed ourselves. And he came down and he fed us with the body of Christ. God, our Father, because he highly valued us, looked down on us and saw that we were like unclothed flowers, crushed, utterly drab and lifeless. And he clothed us in the holiness of Christ. The kingdom of God is God seeing us drowning and capable of saving ourselves and him reaching down, being with us, giving up his own life, drowning himself in the depths of sin and evil and pulling us out so that we could be made new in Christ, so that we could breathe again so that we could be made new in the presence of God because he values our life more than we value our own life. In the kingdom of God, we're not just surviving. We're not just getting enough retirement savings or enough education funds or enough housing simply to survive, simply to get the end of life and say, I have a life well lived and I've provided for my children or I've had a lot of meaning, I've made good things. We're being saved from our own isolation in the kingdom of God. We are entering a whole new reality. 
through Jesus. Because in Jesus, God stretched himself over that gap, which we in our own resources could not bridge. Jesus is God's provision. All other, when, when Jesus is God's provision, all other provision is enough. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, what was he teaching them? He was not saying you will never be hungry. He was not saying you will never be in want of clothes. And he's not telling us you'll always be healthy and wealthy. Um, Jesus is saying that when Jesus is enough, when, Jesus, um, when, when you trust Jesus, uh, God's provision of Jesus, all other gifts are signposts to that gifts, and all other gifts are always enough. They're always enough. When you're poor, it's always enough to have Jesus. When you're wealthy, it's always enough to have Jesus. But if you don't have Jesus, it's never enough. You are always hungry for more. You are never satisfied. There's never enough time, money, energy. You're never satisfied. There's been a, a fascinating study done on uh, who thinks they're wealthy. Who, 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 who would say you're, you're actually wealthy? With each group of people, uh, they asked, are you wealthy? They would say, no, 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 I'm not wealthy. And they would say, well, what would be wealthy? And they'd say, well, this income bracket or this net worth. So they went to the people with that uh, set of net worth and they said, uh, uh, this was done by Forbes magazine, do you consider yourselves wealthy? And no, they kept pushing it, I'm not really wealthy, it's the people who have $5 million that are wealthy. There's, there's, there, was, there was never really a sense of like, I have enough money. And some of you have been uh, in situations where you've seen people with one kind of resource or another, whether it be money or time or education, and it is never truly enough. There's never rest. There's never a sense of, I can be refreshed and relaxed in God's kingdom because I'm God's child and he has given me all that I need. With Jesus, it's always enough. And all of the other provisions that God gives us relationally or with our housing or with our time, they are an overflow. They are signs of an overflowing, gracious God who has given up his own son so that we could be forever with him. Um... Soon after uh, the time when I got the phone call, the apartment's already been rented, and I had to turn around and cry more tears. Um, the apartment search continued, and um, we got connected with a Christian landlord who found out about what we were doing, and instead of running the other direction, said, let's talk more. I want to I know more about your story, and I want to know what this new Chicago Anglican church is all about, and um, on one visit, I, uh, one of my Chicago visits, I met with him and his wife and uh, saw an apartment on a street I never thought I could live on. Um, with more bedrooms, actually, we were looking for a three-bedroom apartment with one bathroom, just the minimum. And um, he showed me a four-bedroom plus guest room, two-bathroom apartment um, in a blue-ribbon school district. Uh, of Audubon Elementary School. And as I walked through this apartment, I just kept thinking to myself, is this real? Is this really happening? This feels like a dream. I can't, I, I, I'm not sure this is, this, there's got to be something where it's not going to work out. I mean, it's been so hard and, and, and uh, this is so much space. And he said, if you'd like this apartment, I'd like to rent it to you. But what I want you to do is instead of sending me rent money, I want you to 
to write this, a check for this amount to Kids Alive International, which is an orphan rescue agency uh, based in Valparaiso. And they provide rescue and uh, adoptive services, food, clothing, shelter to orphans all over the world. I couldn't believe it. What I've seen since then is that not only is our rent money miraculously really going to orphan rescue, but we've been able to have enough space to invite many of you into our home and tell the story of how God raised up this church. And there's enough space where our kids can go upstairs and play so there's not chaos everywhere. We've been able to have guests in our guest room. We've been able to continue to see the ways of God what that provision did for us is to show us how much God cares about our life, how involved and invested he is in that gap that we have between what we have and what's required of us. Because God loves to come and fill that gap. He loves to show us his love in that gap. He loves to, um, to, to come and be among us in that gap. And no matter what we need, he is ready to give us the grace of God in the person of Jesus this morning. If you have a need, come and be fed by Christ. Come and give yourself to Christ. If not for the first time, give yourself to him again. He is your rock. He is your sustenance. He is your food. He is your clothing. He is your housing. He is your education. He is your life. He is your relationships. He is the kingdom. Don't be anxious. See God's love for you in the person of Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.